This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. Hi, it's Doro, and I'm so excited to announce that the Achieving Optimal Health Conference is just around the corner on October 26th at Georgetown University. For our health gig listeners, we have a special offer. If you sign up by September 20th, you'll get $50 off your ticket. Just go to AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com and use the code HEALTHGIG. Get ready to create a happier and healthier life story. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Bridget Freed is a marketing specialist for Epic Private Journeys, a company who specializes in custom travel to exotic locations. She is on the board of directors for Living Classrooms Foundation, which strengthens communities and inspires young people to achieve their potential through hands-on education and job training using urban, natural, and maritime resources as living classrooms. Please welcome Bridget Freed to HealthGig. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited. We can say that we knew you when, you know, when we, Doro and I, talk a lot about hiking on the Billy Goat Trail and dropping our kids off back in the day and then just hitting the trails, the Billy Goat Trail, and we would see you there regularly. You enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed it. So it was so fun to share that with you. But then fast forward and you kind of surpassed us all. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Goat is not where you are now. Now you're at like Everspace Camp. You're at Mount Kilimanjaro. You're all over the place. And so we really want to know from the days we knew you to now, how did you do this? How did you become the travel expert you are? How did that happen? Well, first of all, I still love the Billy Goat and it still brings me joy every time I do it. And seeing you guys out there, every time I saw you, it came around the corner, I'd perk up as well because you guys were just smiling and laughing and talking. And so anyway, when I was raising my kids, probably like you guys, that was my refuge. I love nature. I love being outside. When we talk about nourishing mind, body and spirit, that's what does it for me. So I would go to the Billy Goat just to avoid a gym, to get some exercise, to clear my head. I would think a lot. And I kept thinking at some point, I'm going to be quote unquote on my own. My kids will be out of the house. And that was my most important job was raising them much like many of us. And I just formulated in my head that I'd like to expand my world at some point. So In 2010, even though my kids weren't quite gone yet, I had an opportunity with a nonprofit called Trekking for Kids to go to Everest Base Camp. And so I thought, why not really shake it up, go from the Billy Goat to Everest Base Camp? So I started training, went right into fear, and just pushed myself to go do it. And it really was life disruptive. I learned that it's something I could do, that I wanted to do, that really fed my soul, you know, being out. I hiked a lot when I was young, but I hadn't done a whole lot of it. You know, you get busy with lacrosse and whatever activities your kids are doing. I did that and I just got the bug and really wanted to share it and kind of push it forward. So I then subsequently did Mount Kilimanjaro with Trekking for Kids. And, you know, people will say, I could never do that. You know, and I think you commit and you decide what you want to do. And if you love it, you'll do it. So it's just a long walk. It's not that hard, but it's something that takes some preparation and training. 
So anyway, I had a friend who wanted to meet me for coffee right after I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and just wanted to hear about it and was toying with the idea of doing it. And we're sitting there having coffee, and I see these three men sitting with an acquaintance of mine, and I'm thinking, they are not from here. And I stopped paying any attention to my friend, and I'm listening to their conversation, and they're talking about Africa and Australia. So in my new fearless stage, having just come off of Mount Kilimanjaro, I just walked over and said, who are you people, and why are you with my friend? And it turns out that they were with this custom travel adventure group called Epic Private Journeys. And I started talking to them. And the next day, we all went for a hike on the canal. And I just said, you know, I really need to work with you guys. And they kind of looked at me like I was a nut job, of course, but we kept in touch. And one of them called me about six months later and said, would you like to be a guinea pig and go to the Congo to the DRC and trek gorillas? Like, sure, why not? So then imagine telling your husband. (laughs) So this guy I met with a great Australian accent who travels all over the world and lives in Africa invited me to the Congo. And luckily, I have a supportive husband who understands my craziness. And I brought another friend and we went to the Congo. And that was another seriously life disruptive experience, just seeing that culture. And there are not a lot of people that travel to the Congo. And now it's subsequently been closed to tourism because it's a dangerous place. But sometimes not knowing what you don't know, if that makes sense. (laughs) I was naive and we just sort of went headlong into it and we were safe. But anyway, so it just kind of kept evolving. And the next thing I know, I'm working with them and I think they tried to hide from me, but I wore them down. <laughs> so, so it's so interesting, like you were saying that, you know, you kind of had conquered your fear because you had had the experience of going up to Mount Kilimanjaro. Yes. And what we talk a lot about is without fear, you might not be able to find your courage. That's one of my favorite quotes. It's you know, so true. And so this idea that you can be on trips or vacations or adventures and you know, I don't say face your fears, but sort of, right? And you can live then a more courageous life. Yes. And I think it's pushing yourself sort of mentally, physically and spiritually. So it's on more levels. Hey, we all love each vacations and relaxing and resetting and just, you know, no judgment about how you spend your leisure time. But for me, it became more sort of the concept of active recovery and going and feeding myself by pushing myself too, and having the courage. I guess it's courage. I've never thought of it that way, but just getting rid of my fear and sort of sitting with it and pushing myself. Now, my husband might argue that I don't come back restored. Sometimes you come back exhausted and spent, like from Ever Space Camp. But now, every time I come back from whatever adventure or trip that I've been on, I just have this wonderful new found appreciation for what we have in this world and the advantages. And I appreciate my family. I appreciate all the good fortune I have. And I really go back to that sense of something to be grateful for, whether large or small. That's a really important part of the result of my travels and adventures. I love what you said, too, about when you were in Africa and you were out, I guess, doing a safari, maybe. And you said you really came to you that you saw our place in nature. Going on safari. I've seen pictures and you think, okay, you'll go see amazing animals and that'll be kind of cool. But when you really immerse yourself in it for a few days, or at least for me, being in that moment where there's just no past, there's no future, you're just with the animals watching them 
in their environment and their survival mode. And they're all so beautiful and they just make you feel very small. It's just almost overwhelming how you feel your place and strength in that natural setting. Every minute, something is going on, something incredibly intense. I can't even explain, but the closest I can even imagine that, okay, is Lion King. You yes. know, the circle yes. of lions. Yes, is and that it is. is. And it is just, it's powerful. You've got it exactly. Is that it? I mean, and, that's the closest to the safari I've been to. Yeah, and I mean, we all talk about sort of unplugging and you could care less about anything but what's in front of you. And then, you know, the next minute there's this beautiful sunset and you never know what to expect. It's all in real time and it's just happening. And if you put your camera down, which is very difficult, but if you just watch and listen, it's just a beautiful thing. So I'm obsessed. I can't wait to go back. (laughs) Well, it's true. We spend our lives behind our phones, just filming things and not really experiencing them. Trisha and I often talk about you get to a point in your life where you want to reimagine your life. And it sounds like that's something you've done and are doing. And is Epic Private Journeys sort of a vehicle for that for people? For me, 100%. And they've given me an opportunity. I've found women that are in our position are looking for something more often to feed their souls. And they're giving me an opportunity to develop this women's adventure wellness series. For instance, in the fall, I'm taking eight women to Patagonia. Mm. And we're doing a hiking, yoga, kayaking. We're going to go put on crampons and ice axes and go do Glacier Gray. So it's finding a common purpose and pushing. And so it gives me the opportunity to share it with other women. And it's definitely redefined who I am. Mm-hmm. And I hope to share that with other people. Again, on this idea of reimagining and recreating yes. and just actually taking life and finally making a decision that kind of comes from your heart. And I say finally only because as a role as a mom, as a role of a spouse, as a role of this or that or this, sometimes you don't have the time to think about what's in your heart. Right. And it's a flowing pro. It's not yeah. a static right. thing. It's a forever thing. There are certain times in our lives when... It's natural to reimagine and, Mm -hmm. you know, start that flow again. Mm -hmm. I would say for me, too, that there was a time where I felt like things just sort of happened to me. And as I got older and started really thinking about taking control and sort of creating what I want and how to make that happen and looking at what do I love? I love nature. I love engaging with my body. I love feeling strong. And so taking that opportunity to reimagine, it feels really strong and great. Yeah. And what's so neat about what you do, too, is it does require a strong body. It requires, as you were saying, you have to prepare for a lot of what you do. And that's so healthy all around, right? I mean, you're like, okay, I'm going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro or I'm going to go do Mount Whitney. So you've got to take time for yourself to get strong. And that's important in anything that we do. Yeah. And having a goal is really good for me. So, okay, I'm going in October and I need to be in shape. You know, fear is a great motivator. <laughs> so right. If it's something you right. feel like, I don't know if I can do this. All right. you can do is prepare as much as you can. And right. so I try to. Yeah. I'm not 
by nature the healthiest of eaters. <laughs> <laughs> if I can have the option not to be, but then you know, you know that that's a way to fuel your body. What is the food like when you go oh, to God. these places? Yeah, like how do you um, do that? Like, where's the food? Who prepares it? <laughs> yeah, well, really, it's a great question. It's amazing. So, like, both at Everest and Kilimanjaro, you have this team of incredible porters and. I always laugh because we spend so much time, like I go to REI a million times and I've got all the right hiking clothes and my <laughs> poles and everything. And then all of a sudden you see a porter with flip flops and eggs on his back, literally <laughs> and running porter, up the hill. A porter yeah. someone that carries your Yes, okay. who carries your stuff. And all of a sudden you get into camp and there is this amazing meal prepared and you just want to cry. And amazing being it's a lot of starch, it's a lot of carbs, you know, they can only do so much. But whatever you're eating at that moment is the best thing you've ever had because you're so <laughs> hungry and so tired. Could you walk us through what that experience was like? So when you went and let's do Mount Kilimanjaro, because okay, that's the one sure. that kind of changed you and got you on this path. Yeah. So what happens? Take us from when it starts to what it looks like. That'd be great. Yeah. So you start out fresh as a daisy and all excited. And Killy was an eight-day trek. So each day you get up, you have a big breakfast, and you sleep in tents. And I had a wonderful tent mate. She and I know more about each other than you would ever imagine. Probably like you guys know about <laughs> each other. So you're in a tent you're in a and, tent, it's like, and it's and cots? You're on pads, pads and okay. sleeping bags. And you get into camp each day after you've hiked and you try to find the flattest spot you can find because sometimes you are like this and you end up at the bottom of your sleeping bag. So oh, yeah. trial and error, you learn these things. <laughs> and it starts out, you know, Killy started out very warm. I love and, that Killy. Sorry, Killy. Now Jara. on it's Killy. Yeah. 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 Like that. Yeah. We're all like this world You're, traveler, yeah. wellness expert. Yeah. So you, you know, you hike, I think it's an average of 10 to 14 miles a day, depending on what it is. And each day is a little bit different challenge. You know, and is it going up? Yeah, okay. going up, up, up. But, you know, it starts out warm and you go through a lot of different climate changes. And as it gets a little colder, it gets a little more intense. And, you know, we had a hailstorm one day for a couple hours and it gets a little more challenging each day. And the altitude is a factor. So you're just trying to keep yourself hydrated and healthy and I always operate, as I said, out of fear. So I'm doing whatever they tell me to do and, you know, just praying a lot. But as you get up in the altitude more, you're not sleeping as well. So you just get a little anxious. And the thing about Kilimanjaro is that up until the summit night, it's medium grade hard hiking. But what it really becomes is an endurance test because you get into camp the night before you're going to summit. You have dinner 6 p.m. till about midnight and you start your ascent at midnight. So you're in the dark, you've got lights on, headlamps, and it is so cold and you've got everything you own on and you can't see. So you just start going up and you get there an hour before the summit, the sun rises and you're thinking, I just right before the sun rises, at least for me, I thought I'll never make it. I just I'm done. And then the sun rises and it's this elation and you're at the top of the world and you just sort of can't wait to get to the summit and it's a really incredible, beautiful feeling. Uh -huh. So This is just me, but how do you go to the bathroom? <laughs> Have you ever gotten altitude sickness? Okay, so the bathroom thing, particularly <laughs> for women, is a huge issue. So uh -huh. a lot of times you just give up all modesty and you go out on the side <laughs> of the trail and you just, I yeah. And then in the camps, they have these porta tents, mm -hmm. which are almost not worth going into, but sometimes you have to. Mm -hmm. They're just these little, you know, you can imagine latrines. And 
at night when you get all nestled into your tent, it is so cold outside and you learn very skillfully to pee in a bottle so that you don't have to get cold again. And so it's just one of those things Mm -hmm. that you have to do. And it makes for some funny moments, but then you can go right back to sleep. And you also learn the minute you feel like you need to go to the bathroom, go. Right, (laughs) right. It's a funny thing. And you just kind of get past the people you're with where everybody's in the same boat. Mm -hmm. So even though it feels embarrassing, sometimes you just get in it all together, you know. But the flip side of all the challenge and the hard work that you do is you wake up and the stars are out and Mm. it's quiet and you're at a place with yourself and your thoughts and the people that you're with and it is the most beautiful moment and you kind of think, all right, this is what I did this for, for these moments. So there's a lot of payoff and benefit and beauty that comes with it. Mm -hmm. There's a drug called Diamox, which helps with altitude sickness. And I have always, for my high altitude hikes, I've taken it because I feel like you don't know the bullets you dodge. And, you know, the science of it is it helps you retain oxygen and probably got that wrong in your red blood cells, but something to that effect, we can look it up. But so I've never had it. What happens when people have it? Uh, Well, when we were doing Everest Base Camp, one of our friends had altitude sickness and you just can't keep going. You have to stop. You have to go back down. Mm -hmm. You have to acclimate. She got very sick and wasn't able to keep going. And the thing about altitude sickness is it has nothing to do with fitness It's just you either get it or you don't. And it's funny because a lot of really high performing athletes that you would think, you know, like Martina Navratilova did not make it up Kilimanjaro and she's one of the fittest people on the planet. But I think sometimes, and I said, I always do exactly what they tell me. I drink so much water. You know, an athlete sometimes doesn't think they need to do what they need to do for that sport. And for, you know, going into altitude, you have to be hydrated. But sometimes there's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. But I take any necessary precaution to try to avoid it. And so far, I've been lucky. So what's base camp and what's summit? Particularly at Everest, base camp is at, I think, 18,500 feet. So that is also the place where we ended. And it's so funny because when I got back, everybody's like, you climbed Everest? And I'm like, no. And then they act disappointed. I'm like, but I did go to base camp. (laughs) But then the base camp is where all the climbers, the people that are actually going to 28,000 to the very top of Everest, start. And they're there for two months. And they acclimate. And there's base camp. And then there's camp one, camp two, camp three. So they're going up and down and up and down to then achieve their summit. So that's just where they start. And that's where we finished. So that's a whole nother ball game. And that's technical climbing. And that's something you have to be highly trained for. And that's not something I have endeavored to do. So I'm a trekker, a, trekker. a hiker. I've done Very some cool. technical climbing, but it's not my desire. The technical climbers, how many times do they have to go up and down and up and down before they can get to the summit? They are doing it every day, multiple times. So they'll do up to base camp one sort of for a couple days and then they rest and then they start achieving base camp too and they do that a couple times and then they come back down so it's sort of an up and down process throughout the two months that they're there and they have a place at Everest where they have to cross ladders and they're these huge crevasses and it's called the Kumbu Icefalls and it shifts and changes so they're going across these ladders that the Sherpas have set 
And they do it over and over again. And my good friend of mine who climbed it said that, I mean, she's the most brave person I've ever met. She said she cried every day going across. The, like, can that. I can't even imagine. No, so. no. Just as you were talking, I was thinking about when I ran a marathon. Yes. And I was thinking about how I needed to prepare to, to make that marathon. And when you were talking about right before you saw the sunrise, you didn't know if you were going to make it. Yes. And what came up to me was, I can remember doing that, and I didn't think I was going to make it. And there's somehow you just do, and somehow you just push it through. And I know it's not the same thing, because, I mean, I was at the Marine Corps Marathon on flat, not in Mount Kilimanjaro. (laughs) Okay, so um, a marathon is as insurmountable to me as maybe Kilimanjaro is to you. So it's sort of that finding your own thing. You know, I could not do a marathon as we sit here right now. So I have ultimate respect that you did that. But it's your own Thanks journey. For that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, hey, I walked up a hill, really. <laughs> you know, that's amazing. But we talk about finding your own Everest or, you know, accomplishing your own journey. That's what it is, is finding what sets your soul on fire, mm-hmm. you know, and this is what does it for me and right. makes me feel whole. So what other fabulous things have you done oh. that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what is another great trip? Another great trip. So I've been in the last couple of years to Africa four times, and each time it's just so different. I did, as I said, the DRC and then did Botswana, Tanzania, and we went to a very remote island called the Mafia Islands. Oh, we did a camel-supported hike through the Carisia Hills, which is a very remote area of Kenya with eight women. And We never saw another human other than villagers, and it was just so remote and so beautiful. So after we got our butts kicked doing that, we went to the Mafia Islands, and we swam with whale sharks. Once again, never saw another tourist or American. So it's just every trip I take is really interesting, but that was very uncharted for me. Wow. Who do you think you were in your previous life? Oh, my gosh. I don't know who. Well, (laughs) it's so funny you said that because when we talk about books, there's, you know, Beryl Markham who wrote West with the Night. I always say if I could unzip her and get in, that's who my spirit animal was, was Beryl Markham. (laughs) She was this adventurer. And I just, you know, if I had known when I was young what I know now, it could have been a different outcome. But hey, you can only start reimagining when you can. can. And so. So true. What if someone wanted to take an epic private journey, their first one, which would you recommend? Well, so we specialize in Africa, Australia, South America. So I think, oh, and Antarctica, which I'm dying to do. I haven't oh, gone wow. there yet. So I think it's just... <laughs> I just have to have a map. Yeah. I'm sitting over here like, well, wow. Let me tell you, Tricia, <laughs> geography wasn't my strong suit in high school. <laughs> Now I I pour over maps now and I'm trying to catch (laughs) up and I love maps now. I'm obsessed. But I think it's really what your interests are. If you want animals, Mm -hmm. if you want to push yourself in hiking, maybe Patagonia, you know, so whatever you want to do, I personally would recommend Africa just because. Dying to go to Africa. Yeah, you'll have to come along with us. For my 50th birthday, I got a safari. My kids stood in, held up the letters S-A-F, and I was so excited. I was like, a safari! Yes! I am now turning 60, and I've never been on a safari. Well, you've got to redeem that coupon. Mm -hmm. You've got to do it. It's worth it. It sounds daunting because it's far... And it just seems hard to figure out. And the preconceived notion, some people think, oh, I don't want to sit in a Jeep all day. 
that's not the experience. I mean, you are in a Jeep and you are going out, but you're going out on this sense of what are we going to see? What are we going to find? Where are we going to go? And Mm -hmm. the guides are so passionate and it's less passive than you would think, but it's also very comfortable and fun. And my favorite part is that there's a tradition called sundowners. So you come around a corner and there's a tree and there's a bar set up and you sit there and have a very civilized cocktail watching the sun go down. But how do you pack for a safari? Light. Yeah, yeah. Like, that would be really <laughs> challenging. Yeah. Struggle. Yeah. 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 I would have to start like All a right. year, year before the safari. Well, no, the thing is you get I a good packing with list. No, yeah. And I have gotten better and better at it. You don't need a lot. Another metaphor for life, yes. right? Oh, my gosh. You have Paring down. down. Yeah. We're all doing it now. But yes, you know, you need what you need. Once you have the security of not taking more, it feels so good. And as you guys know, Americans are notorious for having the biggest suitcase, traveling and having everything they don't need. So I try to not do that. So what do you pack? Like say you were going for, is it a seven day safari or how long is the safari? Um, so usually it's a minimum of 10 to 12 just oh. because Africa is so far. I don't have to bring a lot of clothes. <laughs> The great thing about the camps that we go to, they're actually pretty luxurious. So they do laundry every day. Oh, nice. Okay. And you come back and it's nice and folded for you. And I mean, you can do it many different ways. But at this point in my life, I want to be a little more comfortable. But you bring a couple pairs of pants and T-shirts and layers and hat, you know, and you try to somewhat look cute, but <laughs> yeah, how about a hair dryer? Some of the places have hair dryers. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah. A hair dryer. There's a point in every time. Like, yeah, I'll go a couple of days without washing my hair, keep it in a right. ponytail, a hat, and then you just want to wash and dry your yeah. hair. Right. So as long as the power is on, because it's not always power is a luxury that we don't think of because we turn right. our lights on all the time. And when we were in Nepal, 12 hours a day, kids who go to school don't have power because it gets turned off. And, you know, there's something to be grateful for every day. The things that we can take for granted. So right. that's sort of the mindful spiritual component mm-hmm. that evolved for me that I can't say I was even thinking about, but you become very aware of those things. But then you still want to wash your hair and dry it. <laughs> No, but I would imagine your eyes are opened to other cultures and other ways of life and gratitude would come up. When we went to Nepal with Trekking for Kids at that time, and I'm still involved with them, they're a great organization. So you raise money and you go and you work at an orphanage in these places to give back to these incredibly impoverished communities. But you're there hiking and taking advantage of all the beauty So it was my birthday and we went into the orphanage and, you know, as Americans or as I was not as humble as I should have been, I thought, oh, so wonderful. I'm going and working at this orphanage, you know, somewhere in the back of my head. I didn't really think that. But I walked in and these girls who their life is in a little trunk and that's all they have. They had heard somehow it was my birthday and they each brought something for me from their trunk, you know, a pencil, a journal. And they gave me hugs and said, I'm about to cry right now. But and I thought, okay, who in the hell am I? They gave me so much more than I could ever give to them. And it really opened my eyes. And I went back and, of course, yelled at my kids for days about how lucky they were. (laughs) But it really hit me hard. And since then, I've had this really big goal to make sure I understand what's going on wherever I am. What do your kids think about you being an adventurer? It's funny. I think kids are kids and they're young adults and teens when I was doing this. And they just 
thought, how am I going to eat? And, you know, who's going to take care of me? And they think about themselves. But one day, one of my son's friends was over and said, you know, he really thinks you're cool. And so you don't always get it from them. Right, right. I think I took them hiking when they were too young and we got caught in a hailstorm out in Colorado and I sort of ruined the experience for them. So they don't die to do it. But I think they think it's kind of neat that I've gone back to work. They didn't see me in that role. And I'm sure your kids feel the same way that they understand, but they don't. But they just want me to be safe at the end of the day. Right, come home, right. You know? you're over there with all the animals. Yeah. Must be kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bridget, what else do you want all the listeners to know? Is there anything else you want to share that we haven't talked about? I think it's just committing and, you know, whatever you want to do, whether it's travel or some other pursuit, just kind of embrace it without fear. And if you don't try, you'll never know. And there's time to do it. But we start thinking in the bigger picture, too, that we're not 20 anymore. There is time, but you have to take care of yourself if you want to do things. And you really have to, you know, seize it, too. And that we're really lucky right. if we have those opportunities. So. Yeah. And we're super excited to be able to announce something for you guys today that Epic Private Journeys is going to be a sponsor of your Achieving Optimal oh, Health Conference you. in October. Wow. That's, great. That's awesome. Just, I've been a fan of it for a long time, and what you guys do is amazing work. And so we're happy to sign on. And as part of our sponsorship, we are going to be raffling off, I believe, yeah. a $5,000 credit towards a oh, custom. Wow. Thank you. You're very welcome. And yeah, we're very excited and appreciate the opportunity. I hope we win. We're not allowed (laughs) to be in it. So we ask all our guests what book they think everyone should read. And you mentioned West with the Night by Beryl Markham. I mean, this woman, she was in the early 1900s in colonial Africa, and she flew a plane. She trained racehorses. She flew, I think, the first solo Atlantic crossing as a woman. She just did everything. And then she sat down and wrote a beautiful book about her life. And she was during the time of, you know, out of Africa. Karen Mm. Blixen was one of her friends. So it was just such a glorious time, too. And she was sort of this feral young woman who could run around in Africa on a horse all day and be free. And she had wild, great love affairs. (laughs) And and then she wrote beautifully about it. So... That's oh, wow. Cool she yeah. had a reimagined life. Yeah, she sure did. She just kept reimagining. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, she did. Every, every yeah. thing so. then turned into another thing. Yeah. Can't and wait then, to read it. Bridget, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Okay, I think I would tell my 20-year-old self two things. Number one, patience, grasshopper, because I was a little bit of a bull in a china shop at that time. And I also think, and this is what I would love for my kids to understand, is Stop seeking happiness in and of itself. It's the product of what you do. And all of a sudden, if you do what you love and you work hard, you will be happy. It's the result. It's not the goal. And I spent a lot of time sort of, I need to be happy and trying to achieve that. And now it flows. Happiness is there because of the things that I do. But I certainly didn't know that then. So. But patience, 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 patience. Yeah. The hard one. So. Yeah. You don't have to get it all done all now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then your favorite quote. I always have a different favorite quote. And the one that I just recently came on to that I just think is so perfect is you can be a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. And that just really resonated with me because it's 
we don't often give ourselves credit for maybe we are okay and we've done a lot of things and we're great, but it's always evolving. So that concept just really. Oh, that's beautiful. That's thank it. you. Bridget, thank you oh my for joining gosh. us. Thank you, yeah, guys. This, is this so has been great. so much fun and I really am honored to oh. be a part of this and we're love so what ha- you guys are doing. Oh, thanks. So. We're so happy that you're on our podcast. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doral. Be well.